Hi everyone, welcome to Optimize Interviews. This is the knowledge section for the ethics scenarios. Um, my name is Dominic Pereira and today we'll talk about information governance. So information governance is a hot topic. It's an important topic because um, information is part of the fundamental, uh, you know, it's a fundamental part of our relationship with patients. Um, in that, you know, patients often share very intimate, very personal details of their medical history or their social background with medical professionals and that data is kept centrally within the organization. So it's shared with the understanding and the trust that the information will be managed appropriately and that will not be shared inappropriately um, without uh, patient consent um, and that it would be kept strictly confidential. As much as a moral obligation, we also have a legal obligation to protect patient data. Um, and it's outlined through our, the Data Protection Act of 2018, which sets up the guidance and governance protocols for good information governance. Now, in medical interviews, you know, information governance related issues often come up because it's a very good opportunity for the interviewer to examine your understanding of the protocols, but also to uh, assess how you would navigate sometimes quite intricate and difficult and challenging ethical scenarios. Um, so let's talk about information governance. Why do we care about information governance? So the National Health Service and the medical professionals that work within it hold quite personal, you know, very personal data about patients. And it's not just about obtaining a history, it's about how you store it, but how it is uh, kept safe um, from external organizations, uh, not only through intrusion, but also from within it. For example, how do we train our professionals that work within our organization to manage that data appropriately so that it's not inappropriately shared? And that includes um, having appropriate communication methods, for example, trust emails or the NHS email system, which encrypts the data and it's um, and it's kept confidential, as opposed to using, uh, for example, Gmail or you know Hotmail or Yahoo to share patient-related information. Uh, the reason for that is because the you know the data servers that use uh, to communicate uh, using those communication methods that are not NHS email or trust email systems. They um, have data servers that go to sometimes external companies or, um, for example, Google, or it may may work through different countries. So there is a breach of confidentiality if we were to share information um, through um, incorrect communication methods. So part of it is about how we manage the data, how we train our staff to use that data. But secondly, about how that is communicated within um, the clinical context. And so we need to be very mindful about information governance when it comes to discussions or uh, having communication with third parties, uh, when it comes to scenarios involving patients who may not have capacity to manage their own healthcare, therefore an external person may be necessary to gain further information. Um, it may be necessary to consider things like of attorney, um, you consider 
uh, in audit and research, which are, which are fundamental parts of our clinical governance processes within organizations. So there are there is quite a lot of information governance relating to you know the ethics of research and audit, um, you know auditing, and and of course most organizations also have an education and training element to it, which is part of again part of the you know, the clinical governance process of that organization. Um, and so how how is how is that incorporated into um, incorporated into, into information governance? And we'll talk about that later on. So if you were to talk about the scenario of um, a patient who doesn't have capacity to make decisions about the healthcare, um, in which case um, a family member, for example, may inquire about their relative's past medical, sorry, their, their relative's medical condition. But there are lots of things to consider in that scenario as a medical professional. Firstly, you know, it is important to understand that capacity is um, is something that is very subjective and so subject specific and time specific. And, you know, we must really check the capacity of the patient and assess that independently before considering having a discussion with the next of kin. Now, if you are going to have a discussion with the next of kin, it's important to understand that it's, um, you know, it should be in the best interest of, interest of the patient. Um, Often there may be things like a lasting power of attorney that may be involved in these scenarios. Now, a lasting power of attorney is um, the legal document, the legal status where a patient has had a uh, discussion and a signed document uh, with a solicitor that allows uh, a third party to be involved and to have the ability to act on the interest of the best interest of the patient um and make legal decisions about a specific topic which may be finance maybe social care maybe healthcare. so um but in that situation as medical professionals it's our responsibility to ensure that the correct paperwork is available um and that of course if the patient has capacity the power attorney you know it doesn't necessarily count unless the patient wishes the next into um, act on their best interest. Um, so it's important to consider those scenarios. There are also scenarios where um, a patient or an, a family member may request um, medical records or reports um, from from the hospital with regards to their their care. Now. The protocol is that, of course, patients have the right to request notes um, about their own healthcare. Of course, unless the neck, you know, the family member has strict, um, you know, formal consent to request information, they do not have the um, uh, the right to request notes on behalf of someone else. Um, but. Um, if that were the case, then you know it's uh, there is a formal route for requesting notes. For uh, for example, patient needs to make a formal request for their own personal medical records through the PALS department, and the organisation has twenty one days to respond to such a request. Ideally, as soon as possible. But um, you know the guidance, the national guidance, is that the organisation should respond to a um, 
uh, an information request um, within 21 days. Now we talked about patients who don't have capacity. Now in those situations, um, of course, um, it may be helpful to have a family member involved in the discussions uh, regarding a patient's ongoing care. Uh, while that family member, unless they have a lasting power of attorney, doesn't necessarily have the legal backing to make decisions on behalf of the patient. It may be helpful as a medical person to involve family members to gain information about the background. But again, in those scenarios, the reason I mention it is because actually, even in those scenarios, it's really important to understand that only relevant information needs to be discussed. So, you know, the discussions has, the person having those discussions need to be mindful of how much information to divulge um, to, a, to a third party. And the discussion should be very strictly uh, relevant to treating the current medical problem. And in those scenarios, the medical professional is making a judgment as to what's in the patient's best interest. So having a discussion with an expert team to clarify their baseline function and to have, an, you know, have a discussion regarding uh, their current issues, um, the discussion should be tailored to benefit the patient. So, you know, it's really, um, it's quite a, tricky situation for a medical professional to be in. However, um, you know, what you would need to be mindful of is, you know, what is relevant to discuss and what is relevant for the patient, patient's ongoing care. Now, other challenging situations arise when, uh, when, you, when you're considering what we call the greater good. Now, in other words, if, so it may be that you are involved in a scenario which um, uh, you have come across information about the patient's medical condition or their social status, which has given you, which has given you pause to consider disclosing sensitive information about their um, their their medical background, um, and you consider breaching confidentiality in the in the uh, you know with the idea that breaching confidentiality outweighs. The you know the harm done to the patient is outweighed by the benefit of society. Now, an example of this may be, for example, if a patient who is known to have HIV and is knowingly infecting others, despite um, you know having a discussion with a medical professional yourself um, about the harm that they're causing to other people. Now, in those situations, there are two schools of thought that you may consider. Um, there is the idea that actually, you know, you you as a professional is uh, have a duty of care to your patient, and so if breaching confidentiality breaks your relationship with that patient, well, then it's it's your duty to kind of honour your uh, confidentiality to the patient. However, on the flip side, if you've had a discussion with the patient and despite your best efforts, they are unwilling to uh, practice safe um, sexual practices um, and unknowingly infecting others, 
then it may be that you are compelled to breach confidentiality for the greater good of society. Um, so it's quite a challenging situation to be. Another scenario may be that you are, you are uh, aware of a medical professional, perhaps a colleague who is um, currently practicing unsafe work practices, for example, for example, you have a colleague who's a surgeon who's currently working despite having a medical condition such as epilepsy, um, which uh, can put their patients at risk, uh, and they continue to practice despite knowing full well that they shouldn't be doing that. The other scenario is uh, the obvious scenario where you have a colleague who is who has a blood-borne illness, for example, hepatitis or HIV, um, and they continue to uh, practice um, in a capacity that can put their patients at risk of contracting those illnesses. Now, in that in that scenario, you may you may be uh, inclined to breach confidentiality. Now, again, when you address these scenarios, it's always important that you don't just come up with a scenario, but also consider the pros and cons. Consider why you may be compelled not to breach confidentiality because. For example, you may, you may wish to say that you have a good relationship with that patient and actually having a good relationship allows you to um, continue to treat that patient for their best interest. And um, you know, secondly, you may wish to say that actually your duty of care is to your patient and not to other people. On the flip side, you also have a scenario where you have someone who is potentially uh, going to cause harm to another person and actually Will potentially be liable for their action in the future and so breaching confidentiality is in their best interest because actually you're preventing uh, that person from um, you know coming into further harm from a legal perspective but also you have perhaps a duty of care or a moral obligation to intervene when you see something harmful is about to happen similarly you have scenarios where you have dvla related issues so for example patients who have certain medical conditions such as heart conditions with unstable symptoms like unstable symptoms of heart failure or symptomatic arrhythmias, um, who continue to drive uh, despite not having the legal background to do so. You may also have patients, the common scenarios where you've had a patient who has had a seizure or has epilepsy, uh, but they continue to drive. And you may be um, uh, compelled to breach confidentiality by informing the DVLA. Of course, in all of these scenarios, it's always good to have a very tapered and controlled approach to breaching confidentiality, you know, before breaching confidentiality. Uh, for example, by having uh, an engaging conversation with a patient to try and um, encourage them to uh, follow the correct course of action and to, um, and to follow correct protocols, but also being very open with them about, you know, what you may be compelled to do in the event that patient does not comply with the advice that you give. It's always very challenging, but it's important to highlight your understanding of this by um, you know, spelling this out. Now in healthcare, there may 